But we need to be asking who holds the power. And it's not we all hold the power, like we all killed Mars Hill. There were people who were in power positions who held the power in Mark Driscoll's story. Hi, I'm Nate. I'm Gail. And this is Full Mutuality. Welcome to our very first episode. Woohoo! I'm excited. Me too. Um, okay, Gail, what is our podcast all about? <laughs> well, it's kind of in the name, Mutuality. We're going to have conversations that highlight the need for true equality in many areas of society. So religion, politics, entertainment, and on and on it goes. And since there's extreme inequality in all of those spaces... We need to talk about it. But I do kind of feel like we're probably going to be talking more about religion than some of those other topics, given our backgrounds, right? Given our backgrounds. So for those who don't know Nate and I, if you're tuning in because this is our very first episode and you don't know us, you'll probably get to know us as we go on. We'll share a lot more details of our story. Uh, but just as a brief overview, we've been dating for a few years and we both live in different countries. We got to know each other online connected over our mutual love of the same hockey team, and then started realizing that we had so much in common due to our background in evangelicalism. Okay, so speaking of evangelicalism, our conversation today is about a podcast that Christianity Today has been producing called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Um, this podcast has generated a lot of interest and is currently sitting at the number two spot in the religion and spirituality category. Before we get into our discussion, I think it's important to know who Christianity Today is. Founded by Billy Graham, it is the flagship media publication of evangelicalism. And since evangelicalism is where you and I kind of hail from, um, and since this is our first episode, I thought it might be a good idea to give a little bit of background, um, which we'll probably flesh out over the course of our podcast, but to give the brief overview of where you and I come from. Um, so for me, I was born and raised in evangelicalism. I grew up through fundamentalism, um, actually went to a fundamentalist university called Bob Jones University. Um, after I graduated from Bob Jones, I left fundamentalism and entered the larger evangelical world, um, namely the evangelical non-denominational megachurch space. And I actually ended up working for uh, three pretty big evangelical churches. Um, the last one that I was a part of was Hillsong Church. Which we're going to get into in future episodes. We have a yeah. lot of history to cover when it comes to evangelicalism. Yes. And on my end, I grew up Italian Pentecostal, so charismatic church, and switched over into uh, a church that was Open Brethren, which is basically like a Baptist um, Calvinist church. Across the stream, we we were both pastors. Both you and I were pastors on staff. You were a children's pastor. I was a youth pastor. We have both spent time in charismatic churches and non-charismatic churches. And uh, we've both spent basically most of our time in evangelicalism in patriarchal or complementarian churches. Since we've kind of talked a little bit about who Christianity Today is, um, I also think it's important to know a little bit about who this church, or give a little introduction into who this church is that they're talking about in their podcast. So the church that they're talking about is this church called Mars Hill Church, and they are 
part of a movement called the New Reformed or Neo-Reformed Movement, and that's their theology. So their theology is uh, Reformed theology. It's also known as Calvinist theology. Um, and we'll probably elaborate on this a little bit more, maybe in a future episode. Um, but just again, to give an overview, um, so Calvinism or Reformed theology emphasizes God's sovereign, complete control over every minute little detail in the universe, past, present, and future. Um, it also emphasizes that God seeks to bring glory to himself through every single thing that happens uh, in, in history, every good action and every evil action. So basically, God is the narcissistic micromanager. <laughs> <laughs> yes, God's a mar- narcissistic micromanager. And there's some other things that kind of characterize Mars Hill as well, right? Like the complementarian theology, which just to give it in a, the quickest overview that I can, it's guys are in charge, dudes are in charge. Uh, men lead these churches. And that, by and large, is the big picture of what evangelicalism mm-hmm. believes, with very few exceptions. I mean, I think some churches like Hillsong might say that they're not, you know, uh, complementarian or they try and pretend they're yeah. egalitarian churches. But I think for most evangelical churches, when you look deep enough and you scratch the surface and you look into who does them a bulk of the preaching and which pastors call the shots, it's still men, even in churches that claim uh, that they're not mm-hmm. complementarian. Yeah. That's sort of the standard. The yeah, board. and and they they like to use the word complementarian as a way to kind of shy away from like patriarchal or hierarchical. Yes, that's a good. They don't point. like those phrases. They say complementarian because they think that the the two roles of men and women complement each other in different ways. So, like men are designed to be leaders, women are designed to, to be. Cook. To cook and look after children. So we compliment you so well, right? Because between the two of us, Nate, we both know that I'm the good cook, right? Right? (laughs) And you you weren't weren't a guy who was actually a children's pastor and really gifted with children, who coaches children in hockey and does amazing with children. No, no, that's what women do. Women are gifted in those areas. That's how we compliment men according to complementarian theology. And I think both Calvinism and complementarian theology play into the story of Mars Hill. So we're going to be covering today, Christianity Today's coverage of Mars Hill. They Their podcast mm-hmm. all about the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And we're not just going to be talking about Mars Hill. Actually, I think it's going to be less about more about Mars Hill. We're just giving the background on Mars Hill and more about how Christianity Today covered it and why that's problematic and why we need yeah. to have that conversation. Yeah, and- spoiler alert, we're not cool with it. <laughs> <laughs> to get you there straight to the point, we have big problems with how Christianity Today covered the rise and fall of Mars Hill. But in order for people to understand why is this topic of Mars Hill, so why is Christianity Today picking up a story on a church that fell apart seven years ago? Why is this such a, and it's such a popular, like, such a popular podcast. They're getting so many people wanting to re-listen and talk about this because this story was huge. And so we were having a conversation over dinner with friends and our friend was saying, oh, you're going to be covering Hillsong because that's where Nate went. And we'll get to that. You'll you listen to our podcast. We'll be covering Hillsong and uh, interviewing people and getting into all their controversies. There's so many scandals all over evangelicalism, so many places to go with religion and inequality. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she was like, are you going to start off with Hillsong? And we're like, no, actually. And what's interesting is Hillsong created a brand, but Mars Hill created a culture. Right. And so when we got into how did Mars Hill tie into you, no, you weren't a part of a Mars Hill church, but you were part of a network church planting that mm-hmm. was linked to him. You had books yeah. recommended to him even before you were part of a church that was part of his church planting network. Like he had such a big influence. I talked to another friend and she said to me, 
you know, Gail, the reason I chose to stay home with my kids and she's in Canada, I'm in Canada. This is like, we're not even a part of American evangel because we're part of Canadian. Same thing. Okay. Same thing. But you know, here we are in a different country and we're influenced by Mark Driscoll. She is to the point where she decided to stay home with her kids because Mark was teaching that that was the important thing for women to do as women's roles and their jobs and complementarian teaching that he was emphasizing had such an impact that my young friend made a decision at that time based on that teaching. People are listening to this podcast like crazy because he didn't create a brand like Hillsong did where everyone hears the name Hillsong and thinks of Justin Bieber or different celebrities that, you know, were connected with that church. But there is a culture and an influence that he had that Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll had on the culture of our generation Mm -hmm. that we think is important to discuss because it made a big impact on people's decisions and how they understood Christianity. And so that's why we're going to go into this topic today and why we we really care about how Christianity Today decided to t- cover it and why we took the time to sit and listen to all these episodes when we both heard about it. We're like, oh, Mars Hill, they're covering Mars Hill. They had such a big influence and it made a difference in all of our lives. Even if we weren't directly connected to Mars Hill, it had a big reach and a big network of people it was connected to. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to just paint that picture up front. And I think it's important to to explain how Christianity ties into this whole picture. Um, so they're covering Mars Hill. And Mike Cosper's yep. the guy running this podcast. What do we know about Mike, about Mike Cosper? This yeah, is Mike, important. Mike Cosper, who is the producer and host for Christianity Today's podcast on Mars Hill, um, he is a former pastor himself at a former Acts 29 church that had its own scandal where the lead pastor had to resign or or decided to resign. I don't actually know the whole um, the whole story. Those details are a little more sketch compared to yeah. the Mars Hill stuff that's been chronicled. But we do know it was a copycat church of Mars Hill in so many ways. So here you have Mike Cosper, who who comes from a similar background. In fact, interesting fact about him, he was part of, he wrote for the Gospel Coalition. He even mentions mm-hmm. that in one of his episodes on this podcast. So he's really tied in. And it seems a bit like um, asking a church that's been caught in a scandal to investigate itself. You know, like it feels a little bit like people are very excited about this podcast. And before I start getting into all the problems with it, which I'm already doing, I do. I want to pause and explain why people are some people are excited about this podcast. And I want to just take some time and go, okay, people are happy that this is being talked about and they're praising it because what do you think, Nate? What do you like? What would you say? What is the pieces of this that are making people happy? about Christianity Today's podcast on Mars Hill? Well, um, there's, I mean, there's this sort of, like, um, excitement um, surrounding a, a church that fell apart, you know? Like, uh, when, when you see a car accident, you know, and there's, you know, you rubberneck, create delays. So it's everybody like wants to see. Yeah, there's a spectacle to it all, and, and, and everybody wants to know what happened. There's the whole, like, behind-the-scenes aspect of it. He does, like, um, a true uh, crime yeah, podcast like style. Crime. Who yeah. killed Mars Hill is one of the right. statements he makes right off the bat. Like, dun-dun-dun. Right. And, oh, God, the conclusion he comes to is... Is terrible. God-awful. Um, he says, who is who does yeah. he blame for... <laughs> Killing Mars oh, Hill. Us. Maybe we it was did. all of us. We of killed us. Mars Hill. Like, Nate, how did you kill Mars Hill from uh, New Jersey? <laughs> I, I don't know. 
What did you do? How did you I, gave it? I wrote you read that post. book. Yeah, you you did something. You you raised his celebrity status. You're yeah, partly like, to blame for making him popular. We all see, need to take responsibility for making him popular. Okay, before I get into everything I dislike, I asked you a question, and I guess I wanted to answer it. In terms of <laughs> what I think is making people excited, when I'm reading the feedback of people saying this podcast is so great. I'm not seeing them comment on what is great about it. I feel like it's fascinating, like you said, like watching a car, you know, that that just exploded or, you know, something fascinating to look at. The podcast is done in a very in a way that's very titillating. It's very, I mean, the sound bites, the style of it is very, uh, people have compared it to NPR. It has like a vibe. It's all stylized. It's, you know, it's made to sound really interesting. Can, can we can we pause real quick? This whole like, okay, comparison to NPR. Sure. Yeah. High production value or whatever. But like at least, at least with the NPR podcasts, for the most part, they have legitimate hard-hitting journalism where they're actually digging into what's going on. But Christianity's long-form journalism highlights the sages and storytellers with wisdom. I think they say something like that in the podcast on the regular when they're trying to promote why you should donate to them and and subscribe. Yeah, so we can promote this kind of work. But you're right. This is this is not objective journalism because I'm no. saying the positives, which are that people are happy about. And I think what they're happy about, some of them, in a legitimate way, besides, oh, wow, it's so nice sounding. It's cool music and whatever. Um, I think people who might actually be genuinely happy to feel like their stories are given some time and attention by something so popular like Christianity Today being a flagship, Billy Graham sort of trusted Christian organization that's, you know, shining a light on a problem that wasn't acknowledged and was sort of mm-hmm. supported by the majority of evangelicalism yeah. when it when things were imploding i mean they were imploding for a long time before they before mark driscoll even ran away and the people who were suffering in that environment their stories were not being heard and they the people who went to those churches were harmed um people who were you know even under those teachings were harmed and I think for a lot of people, it feels nice for it to be finally acknowledged by someone mm-hmm. who's taken credibly in evangelicalism to say there was a problem here. Yeah. Um, so people feel happy they're being heard. People feel happy the truth is being told, that stuff is being expressed that happened, that they lived through, the trauma that, they, that they've experienced is being validated and confirmed. But I have so many questions. Um, one of them being, why now? That's um, a really good question. And and so the the answer that I had thought when I first heard that Christianity Today was going to be doing a podcast um, was maybe they're doing this now because of all of the scandals that are coming out about Mark Driscoll at his current church, Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, so my optimistic side was like, oh, they're covering this story because they want to use it as a cautionary tale and as a way to warn people at Trinity Church, hey, your pastor is a bit of a dick. Um, But they have not to this point even touched on the fact he still runs a church, started over fresh. I I mean, it's been a while since I've listened to, to the podcast, but have they even no. mentioned that he that he went and planted a new church? I don't think so. Up to this point, we're like out episode eight or something. I don't think I've yeah. heard anything about it. And yeah, I mean, and that's quite an important said, detail. Oh yeah, <laughs> that is quite an yeah. important. Like that's they, an important story. Yeah, I mean, they might have said like briefly. Oh, and he went and started a new church, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about his church, Mars Hill, that fell apart. And blah, blah blah. Let's focus on that. Um, but like, what do you so think? That's, what do you think's the motive behind it? I mean. 
I, I honestly, I, I mean, I, I don't know as far as like why this is happening now, but I think one of the motivations that seems to be coming into focus as more episodes come out is that the host, um, is Mike Cosper is sort of like kind of prepping us for the potential, um, of his own dirty laundry um, and whatever stories are, whatever skeletons are in the closet of Sojourn Church, you know, I feel like it's probably only a matter of time before some of that stuff starts to become public. And I'm wondering if he's trying to paint Mark Driscoll as a somewhat relatable character, because that's kind of what he's doing. Um, you, you had taken down some quotes, right? Like something that he, that's, yeah, I mean, okay. So I'll give the quote where, I mean, when we were listening to him say this, we were both like, is this projection? So he goes, underneath this all, this is a question about power. I think this was on episode, uh, I'm, I think it might have been the Bobby Knight or the next one. Maybe it was the mm -hmm. next episode. So it was one of the recent ones. He goes, underneath it all, it's a question about power, how it evolves, how it grows, how it centralizes or decentralizes the things it does to us and the things we do to protect it. I'm like, who's protecting power? Wait, wait, is your common evangelical person protecting power? Or are there certain people who are in power in evangelicalism? Because that's an important distinction mm -hmm. right there. Yeah. But he's saying the things we do to protect power. Yeah. So this is somebody in power talking about protecting power. There's a danger in hearing this story and thinking it's about somebody else. Wait, wait, hang on. When we're hearing this story, there's a danger in thinking it's not about me. Like, I should assume this story is about me personally, or is he talking about himself? Because this is where it really feels mm -hmm. like projection. Because what do you and I have to do with thinking of, yeah, about, exactly. this is about us somehow? He's like, there's a danger in looking at Mark the same way as someone else, someone unlike us in every way. Nate, you and I are like Mark in every way. If we don't <laughs> see it that way, then there's a danger in us not thinking we are like Mark in every way. There's a danger in seeing ourselves as unlike him in every way. We all have... We all have Mark Driscoll in us. Did you know that, Nate? Mm. I mean, this could be total depravity, but it also could be a bit of projection going on, I think. Yeah. I think I think there's a little bit of both. I think he's using he's using the doctrine of total depravity as a way to kind of cast everybody in this light to make Mark Driscoll relatable, to say like, oh, we're all like Mark. Like the whole, uh, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I, mm -hmm. you know, that whole thing. Um, and so that, I think that's kind of what he's doing. I think he's using total depravity as, a, as an opportunity to cast Driscoll in a favorable light or to cast us in as unfavorable a light as Mark Driscoll. I think there's this concept of sin leveling, right? This, mm -hmm. this idea that, you know, all sins are the same. Um, right. so and so whether you rape someone or you tell a white lie, that's all equal in God's sight, yeah, which is so yeah. messed up. Like if you think about if you respond to people the same way based on that, Mm -hmm. There's like not a recognizing of safety, how to respond to things, how to hold people yeah. accountable, like yep. treating everything the same way is extremely dangerous to do in leadership. Yep. Then leveling yep. serves that abusive people are not held accountable. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I, I wanted to continue with this quote because we kind of yeah, cut it off and it. I asked you a question. But so he goes on to say, and I think projection is what's happening here. Mm -hmm. What happens to us when we're in a corner? 
when it feels like something important might be stripped away from us. Perhaps more importantly, what happens to us when the wind is at our back and triumph after triumph happens to us, when a whole lot of people can point at us as the reason for their own success and as a source of purpose and belonging. Is that how you feel? I mean, do we have like people pointing at it? Who, what is he ta- who is he talking right, like, about here? <laughs> okay. When the same group of people begin to count on us for the future as well, what happens to us when we succeed? It's one thing to face darkness when it comes to loss and failure, but there's a whole nother darkness waiting for us when we win like that whole segment was just so bizarre it was like if he's talking about mark driscoll there was definitely a darkness that came with loss and failure that we're talking about on this podcast Mm -hmm. but he's alluding to people were like what you said maybe stuff that hasn't been exposed yet what if you're winning and you're like mark driscoll somehow it's yeah it's a very convoluted strange thing to be saying as his point of underneath it all is a question about power and i agree with him that this is a question about power but we need to be asking who holds the power. And it's not mm-hmm. we all hold the power like we right. all killed Mark Driscoll. There were people who were in power positions who held the power in Mark Driscoll's story. This episode is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and many more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. See, this is this is where I think we have um, a little bit of a conflation of uh, of of organizations. Um, so we have in the U S this idea of, um, this, this belief that we're a democracy. Um, (laughs) I, I hope we still are, um, though it often doesn't feel like it. So there's this idea of a democratic rule, right? So that we, as the people have a say in how we're governed and they, it's, it almost seems like he's conflating this idea of democracy with, how churches function and the churches that he comes from are nowhere near democratic. So the people in these churches have no say whatsoever in how the, how they're governed. They go in there. And so churches like Mars Hill, like Hillsong, they operate as businesses with a top-down structure, with a CEO, whether they want to say he's a CEO or not, they you know, they have a CEO, they have a, an executive team, board, whatever. They function like businesses and they're the, the general congregation are consumers. They don't have a say really in the product that they're given. They buy into the product, but then they fuel the product by offering free labor because they're, they're going in there and many of them are volunteering their time and energy. And what I think Cosper is doing in that in that instance is he's essentially saying, um, you know, we we all are complicit because, you know, this is this is our like we're responsible for, you know, like we vote in in, you know, our elections uh, for our government. You know, we have a say in how our government runs. We are the church like that message gets. And I realized I was a little bit down a rabbit trail there, but I think this is where I where I want to land. Um, we are the church, right? If he, if that's their belief and if that's their ideo- the ideology, they say we are the church. All of us collectively are the church. 
then we are responsible for its downfall. We are the ones that killed um, Mars Hill. But in the case of these evangelical churches, we have no say in what's happening there. It's a top-down structure with Mark Driscoll at the top and no accountability and everybody else kind of just fueling his, uh, his empire. This sort of ties into what you're saying, Nate, but I have another quote, and this one's from Cosper. He says, this is hardly, and actually this, uh, this first statement, this is hardly an isolated phenomenon, is one of the reasons why we want to cover Mars Hill on our mm -hmm. first episode, talking about evangelicalism, because what happened at Mars Hill happened on a micro level in so many other churches. Maybe it mm. didn't have the big spectacular crash of Mars Hill, but these sort of abuses of power, that, like you said, the people at the top running the show and their control over it and sort of the way the systems are set up are similar and modeled across evangelicalism. So when he says, Cosper starts off, this is hardly an isolated phenomenon. This is after he talks about, you know, who killed Mars Hill. Mm -hmm. He goes, you know, why do we keep doing this? Why are we regularly platforming people whose charisma outpaces their character and who leave devastation in their wake? something attracts us. We buy in and then we watch the collapse like spectators at a demolition derby. Understanding why this happens is really the purpose of the whole podcast. And I'm a little bit blown away listening to that because understanding why this happens should be the purpose of this whole podcast. But I'm not seeing that as I'm listening no. to this podcast. I'm not seeing there's a statement that they make in this very catchy intro that they have where they have um, this. I think it's kaleidoscope what's the name of the band that's yeah king king's kaleidoscope king's kaleidoscope which... is playing this really popular track in the background they're a mars hill group back in the day i find that funny sorry real quick i find mm -hmm. that really funny that you know they're they're talking about the rise and fall of mars hill but mm -hmm. everything about this podcast feels like a mars hill production right you have king's kaleidoscope which is a former mars hill band their logo the the their podcast artwork it looks like a mars hill um sermon series logo like everything about and even the voices the, the everything just sounds so mar like if you want to you want to critique or analyze mars hill but you're emulating them well he, even the even the point he makes about something attracts us we buy in and then we watch the collapse like spectators at a demolition derby what's he doing is he not providing <laughs> the spectacle for the audience of the collapse of mars hill like that's what his, his podcast is like look at this carnage and then he's criticizing people for saying look this is a bad thing that we do we cause this because this is what we do we buy in and mm -hmm. then we just watch it fall apart but then you're providing that as like the trauma porn for everyone to listen to and yeah. it's 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 such a contradiction that he's doing the very thing he's critiquing yeah. but i feel like getting back to the song the intro with king's kaleidoscope that was that mars hill band they play right. this catchy song interspersed with clips of mark driscoll doing how dare you who in the hell do you think you are who do you think you are? You are not God. You are just a man. You're not an impressive man. <laughs> that craziness by Mark Driscoll, you hear him screaming that, okay? And in this catchy intro. And then they have it also interspersed with quotes by people they've interviewed. And uh, one of the first quotes they have, actually the first quote they have that's not... Uh, a song or that's not sung. It's the first spoken thing they have in this intro clip uh, that becomes the theme song for this podcast is they have someone uh, named Jen Smith, who was a pastor's wife. She gives her a little bit of her story in one of the episodes, but she makes a statement and she says, 
why are we not looking at the deep-seated reasons for this? Mm -hmm. This is one of the first statements in this theme song that's going to be repeated over and over again. And my heart echoes this. As I listen to the Christianity Today podcast covering this, <laughs> my heart keeps asking this question, why are we not looking at the deep-seated reasons for this? So anybody who's hearing us complain about Christianity Today co covering Mars Hill and thinking, I'm so happy, Gail, that they covered this. Finally, it's getting the attention it needs. I felt seen. I felt like people were seeing my story and hearing it. I'm thankful for that. And I don't want to take that away from you, what that feels like. But I want to validate that even further in saying that there is stuff they are skirting around the deep, what, what Jen Smith said, we, why are we not looking at the deep seated reasons for this? And this is why we're getting on Christianity Today's case about it, because they are not looking at it. They're saying their podcast is about understanding why this happens is really the whole purpose of this podcast. And we start looking at this podcast and we're seeing them you know, replicate. Like you said, they have a Mars Hill style to them. Actually, and I want to give credit right here where credit is due. Mm -hmm. Jessica Johnson, we're going to put her uh, link to her article in our show notes. We want you to go check this out. It's the best article I've seen written on this whole topic, but she brings that up. She brings up how, you know, they basically emulate and they, they are all they, the, the flaws of the Christianity Today podcast are the same flaws as the church they're addressing and they're cut from the same cloth. Mm -hmm. They're part of the same organizations. They're, I mean, Mike Cosper, who's running this thing, is a part of the Gospel Coalition that Mark Driscoll was a part of. These guys were all connected and buddies, and they are still part of the same structures. Calvinism, complementarianism, they're upholding the same structures and system. So it's hard to tear down something or point the finger at something that you are actually still involved in and still a part of. But I do want to point out Jessica Johnson, and I really want to highlight her because we've gained so much knowledge and actually, she's featured in this um, podcast, but she's edited. She's I wouldn't clipped. call her featured. No, I would featured say is the wrong way. She's in two. <laughs> she's in actually two of the podcast episodes, but very shortened. Yeah, but like she has a total of thirty seconds between right. the two podcasts. I mean, and one of them was about the women, which, in my opinion, the women. What we do to women was one of them, and people say that's the best one of all of them because it focuses on the trauma that was caused to women. And because it was a complementarian church, that is a super important topic. You know, I asked you early on how, you know, your religious background connects to Mars Hill. I feel like for me, how it connects is patriarchal complementarianism. I was <laughs> in a patriarchal church as a woman. And that has a certain impact on you as a woman that yeah. men do not understand what it's like in those environments. There's a certain damage that's done to women where guys are in charge, um, where they call the shots. They have the final word and say where, you know, I had scenarios in my church where people walked out because I spoke because I was a woman. And, and I'll probably mention that in other episodes when we get into topics related. But it's something where if you're a woman, it's a specific kind of trauma that you're going to experience if you're a woman in leadership in a patriarchal complementarian church. Um, and Mars Hill had an impact on me because that those were the kind of doctrines that they disseminated into all churches around them. They enforced, they provided resources for those types of teachings that kept women from reaching their potential, from having their voices heard. And actually, he took it a whole bunch of steps further into some very abusive stuff on a sexual level towards women, uh, encouraging non-consent in many ways by the way he set up how sexual relationships should look um, within churches. So for me, this is personal on that kind of a level. So Jessica Johnson, uh, who was featured on that episode and where I was also going to say is one episode really out of 
the eight that they've published so far is on women. That should be the main thing. They've had so many filler episodes. They had one where he just ranted about some Indiana basketball coach named Bobby Knight for like the whole, almost the whole, it's titled after that. And it, he's trying to make some link to Mars Hill, but why not if you're going to talk about the women? And that's like one of the main problems of Mars Hill that they should be mainly featured. And that is one of the, Jessica Johnson does a fantastic job of yeah. explaining one of the big problems is that they're not centering the people who are most harmed. Most of the mm-hmm. people who come onto this podcast for Christianity Today are the guys who suffered the least, who are in the biggest positions of power, who are who are fanboying still on the podcast and name dropping and being like, oh, I shook hands with Tim Keller. Oh my, it was like meeting a famous football person and it was so cool. Here's the problem though. The people that they've got on, these guys that they're bringing on the show are guys that were not affected quite as heavily. They, they were like peripheral, you know. If, if you want to bring on a, a guy on the show to to discuss what went down, reach out to Paul Petrie. Bring him on the show. I want to, like, he was the pastor that was fired that sort of started um, this, that was at, like, the height of all of this explosion of what was going on at Mars Hill. That was the catalyst for Mark Driscoll consolidating his power. I want him to share his story. Like, you want you want to talk about what went down? Get those people on, Right. right. Not these guys on the periphery or even fucking Ed Stetzer. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Why does his opinion matter in this piece? You know, I, I what I hear him doing is uh, what I hear Mike Cosper doing is a defense of his own belief system by saying, look, here's another complementarian guy coming on. And he's saying, look, I'm a complementarian and I think Mark was totally out of whack. So this doesn't represent complementarian teaching. So his attitude with women damaging them, it's not because there's anything damaging about men leading over women and being in charge and calling all the shots or calling all the important stuff. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. that's not it. It's just he went over the top. He was a little too extreme. Like this is, it feels like an apologetics for his belief system. So there's no real interrogating how these systems systems and structures within complementarianism can do tremendous damage to women. It's sort of like, let's bring on people who agree with our thinking and Mark mm-hmm. Driscoll's to the most part, who are still going to exactly. say that Mark right. was wrong. So we're right. going to say it's not about really the belief system underneath. Right. So you were mentioning Jessica Johnson. You started um, reading just, her book? Yeah. So I started reading her book. She wrote, so Jessica Johnson, if you're wondering who she is, because we've mentioned her name like, you know, six times already. Um, she actually, I believe she teaches at um, University of Washington um, and sort She's of an like some of- Right. Her, her expertise is in anthropology, sociology, you know, gender studies, et cetera. Um, I say et cetera, but I mean, like she's she's got credentials. She's a doctor. Right. So she um, she kind of embedded at Mars Hill um, back in its heyday um, in the early mid 2000s. And she was there for two years. I don't think she joined as a member uh, because she's pretty clear in her book that she's not a Christian, but she developed friendships and attended the church every week um, and even went to to several of their uh, non-Sunday events. And then out of that time being embedded in that church, um, she ended up writing a book. And what's interesting, uh, I, I, I think I heard her on another podcast or, or you heard her on another podcast and, and related to me that she she didn't actually set out to write a book about Mars Hill. She was doing a different study. And then her time at Mars Hill was so fascinating. And what she was writing about her time at Mars Hill, somebody else was like, please write about that. 
because that seems like something very interesting. Yeah. So Jessica Johnson, I believe she initially embedded in um, because she was studying about the LGBTQ community and different perspectives on it. And there was she wanted to, to listen to the pros, those who were for, against, just kind of evaluating culture. And she had heard that Mars Hill was a very liberal appearing church. They seemed so trendy and young and hip and doing all these things that look liberal in appearance, but they had a very conservative opinion on this topic. So it wasn't like your typical churches that were anti-LGBTQ. It was very different. And I think that tracks with what we were talking about earlier, that like he took some very old stances that were losing popularity and he sort of brought it to younger people with a vigor and even an intensity and an, and even more harmful in many ways. And so she was embedded in there and did a lot of interviews. And her, her book is called, for those who want to check it out, it's called Biblical Porn. I mean, interesting title. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting title. Uh, I forget what the the subtitle of the title is, Labor Affect. And I yeah, know that you well, have, have the it. you have it right in your hand. You have your yeah, e-reader. It's, um, uh, Biblical Porn. Affect, Labor, and Pastor Mark Driscoll's Evangelical Empire. So that's the title. She she kind of explains a bit of that her title, Biblical Porn, was mm-hmm. really a lot about how he used the word biblical is a very, people focus on the porn because it's, you know, porn, ooh, you know, titillating title. But they're actually, she said the word biblical was because the Bible was constantly used, but not really used, but he would say he was using the Bible constantly, like even when he you know, finally repented, quote unquote, which wasn't really in a repentance at all. He brought up the Bible with him and started talking, held the Bible in his hand and kept saying Bible, 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 and like talking about how Grace gave him this Bible and like Right. A great Grace was Grace was his wife. Grace, right. Using the Bible as a prop, kind of like how Trump did when he stood in front of that church for the photo op. I'm giving the, the Trump comparison because like he did the whole, I think in one of the podcasts Jessica was on, they were, she was talking about this and giving this example of like even the Episcopalian bishop that Trump was standing in front of that guy's church was like very, very bothered by the whole scenario. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was such just a photo op and it wasn't really representing his beliefs. And so the Bible is used that way by Mark Driscoll. Um, there is a quote of hers that you had taken down uh, that I found really interesting. And I think it really highlights just how far Mark Driscoll took things. I mean, he wasn't just complimentarian in his teaching, but the way the whole idea of biblical porn, he sort of had this pornographic way of describing a woman's role in a man's life. And it was so absurd and over the top and so degrading and traumatizing towards women. And I think sometimes he said the quiet parts out loud. And what I mean by that is often in complementarian teaching, some of this is just not spoken. He kind of took those quiet parts and sort of amplified them. So some of these dangerous teachings aren't said this sort of explicitly or this sort of vulgarly in your more conservative churches, but it doesn't mean the attitudes aren't there. Mark just literally unabashedly would just spew out in verbal diarrhea this. So this is from the book and it's a quote directly from Mark. What the guy wants is to see a stripper, a porno, and have some phone and cyber sex. What the guy needs is a good Christian woman, the kind of woman who knows that men like unclothed and sexually aggressive women. Why? Because they're breathing. As long as a man is alive, he's ready for sex every minute of every day. Ready for that, Nate? Every minute of every day? (laughs) Ladies, listen closely. The guy will never get the big dreams out of his head. He can either explore them with his wife, become bitter and sexually repressed, or sneak off to the strip club, or log on to the net and escape in a moment of adventure. So it would behoove a good godly woman to learn how to strip for her husband. Like, this is... You You know what that tells me? 
um, is that he views women as a product because because what he's doing is he's replacing one product with another product, right? So like a guy is going to, um, you know, watch internet porn or he's going to go to his local strip club. And in, in both of those examples, the woman is a, um, a commodity, is an object to be viewed. And then he is now placing that role upon the good Christian wife. Right. And Jessica goes on to explain, you know, pornographic scenarios are redeemed as enacted by Christian wives rather than local strippers. Driscoll admonishes the married Mars Hill women who are inevitably uncomfortable with their bodies to perform visual generosity in order to mitigate the future threat of their husband's sexual infidelity online and off, providing detailed instructions through how-to examples. So these are some of the examples that Oh my gosh! Oh, yeah. before you go into the examples, uh, you know what what's what's happening in this instance is not only are is he placing that like objectification role upon upon women that like you know your your husband's looking at porn, well you be that porn now you take right. on the role of that object, but he's also placing now the unnecessary pressure on women to maintain an aggressive sexuality in order to mitigate the future threat of their husband's sexual infidelity offline and on like this is like like stated pretty much yeah prevent prevent you want to prevent your husband from from cheating on you do you know what you got to do here's what you got to do take a polaroid and snap a few shots in various states of marital undress and bliss and sneak them into his Bible so that when Marital the guy undress. hang on, let's continue. <laughs> hang on, Nate, ruining it. Okay. Sorry. And sneak them into his Bible so that when the guy sits down to eat his lunch at work and read some scripture, he has reasons to praise God. Or how about the occasional <laughs> sorry, we're both I laughing. I <laughs> it was ridiculous. Or how about the occasional instant explicit message from his wife rolling across his screen? giving him some reasons to expect that dessert will precede the dinner that night. Like the way he talks about women is literally like their meat, that Mm -hmm. the dessert will precede the dinner that night. Like the women are the props. So then she goes on to say in Driscoll's post, pornography is simultaneously, this is really insightful of Jessica. Mm -hmm. I mean, her whole, her whole book and her post, her post that we're going to link to are all insightful. Please check it out. But Mm -hmm. I'm just going to give, give a little teaser in Driscoll's post. Pornography is simultaneously a detriment and a door to sexual and spiritual freedom. Both men and women are bullied into a paradoxical position regarding porn. Its mainstream representation and industry are couched in terms of demonic temptation and capitalist exploitation. However, without compulsively desiring, visualizing, and performing quote-unquote biblical porn, congregants cannot embody authentic evangelical masculinity or femininity. In effect, biblical porn becomes a conduit for effective labor in support of evangelical empire. I just thought, mm. wow. Yeah. Um, I have many, many thoughts, but I think where I'm going to round it as far as my thoughts go is in regards to kind of what we're, what our, our podcast overall wants to highlight, right? Inequalities. So in this story in with regards to Mark Driscoll and why I think we have a problem with Christianity today uh, and their coverage is that um, one of the big problems, one of the one of the reasons that Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill rose to fame was because of the way they handled sex and sexuality. And 
that was simultaneously one of the big problems foundational to how Driscoll preached to what what led to I mean obviously what led to their downfall was structural changes uh, structural issues um the the fact that he had zero accountability spiritual abuse of his staff members and pastors that were uh subordinate to him but part and parcel to all of that was his view of women so yes you like we we're our, our whole podcast is about inequalities and like we could talk about the inequalities in his in his uh governance structure and the fact that he has all of the power, and he's doing it again at his current church. I, I want us to be very clear: is that this this kind of thing is happening even worse at his current church, where he has zero checks and balances. At least in we Mars need Hill. to drop a clip right in here about how he oh, feels. Yeah, currently, this is a clip of him right now talking about his church and about himself, knowing all the scandals, knowing about you know the stuff that's available to anyone who wants to Google him. This is how he talks about himself. Mm-hmm. Check it out. You can Google me. I'm not very well liked in certain circles. <laughs> and I don't care. Does this sound like a change dude to anybody? Well, what's even even more interesting, and I'm going to play another clip of him from the past. And this is the kind of thing that he said, you know, people don't like me. There, there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. <laughs> and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. Um, you either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. A couple things, right? So he's talking about like, we're so on mission that, you know, there's going to be a pile of dead bodies and by God's grace, there'll be a mountain. Well, your entire church was the mountain of dead bodies behind your bus. Um, the whole, the, a couple problems with his attitude, the first of which being, look, I, I, I'm, I am all for not caring what people think and living your life and not being beholden to other people's opinions of you. However, (laughs) um, if you want to be a functional, empathetic human being, you have to at least care about the impact that your words and actions have on the lives of those that you are influencing. And this is clearly a guy who gives no shits about what kind of pain he's causing people. And the more power you hold the more you need to have empathy and care about Mm -hmm. the impact of what I'm not that if you don't have power, you shouldn't care about the impact you should everyone has an impact. But those who have more power have more impact and can do much more harm. And that's why we're picking on Christianity today, too, because they are an evangelical organization who cannot objectively critique the belief systems that they also hold to. They keep deflecting. They kind of present it and they sort of back away from really talking about it. The key people in the movement who could have held them accountable, they're not really covering Mm -hmm. the worst of it. That I mean, there's John Piper that gets brought up and they mention how, you know, we talked about Calvinism and the young restless reform movement. And they talk about, you know, Piper and his sermon about seashells and how, you know, people were just craving meaning and purpose in life. And they chose that as a clip of John Piper. Meanwhile, there's other (laughs) clips of John Piper that can give you an understanding of the toxic masculine view. We'll play it for you. We will. What should a wife's submission to her husband look like if he's an abuser? (laughs) Oh, my. If it's not requiring her to sin, but simply hurting her, then I think she endures verbal abuse for a season, and she endures perhaps being smacked one night, and then she seeks help from the church. So if you're a woman 
just deal with the abuse, deal with being smacked for a night, and go to your church because clearly your church is going to be the safe place where women are going to be taken seriously and they're going to be, the men are going to be dealt with for treating you badly. You're not going to be told, do whatever your husband wants, no matter what, because right. if you don't, he's going to cheat on you. No, no, you wouldn't be told that, would you? You're not being placed as solely responsible for whatever your husband does wrong to you and you become the 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 person in charge of his actions, right? They're not teaching. We know that they're teaching that. We know, And they're the ones that the women are supposed to turn to when they're in horribly abusive situations. It's so ridiculous. And yeah. the reality is Piper was seen as this mentor and Christianity today could have highlighted the similarities and the problematic nature of their view of women and their complementarian teaching and how that plays out in real life and the dangers towards women. But they couldn't yeah. go there. Mike no, Cosper couldn't go there no, because he, he replicates couldn't. that system in right. his own yeah. structure. And his, his, his own belief system, I'm like, he doesn't talk about it um, he's on the podcast, but he's got to be, I mean, he comes out of that world that was his church. and he's never, I mean, I've never heard him say anything contrary to where he came from. You know what? Jessica Johnson said that in her interview, she mentioned this on another podcast. She's done a few and I don't remember which one it's from. Okay. I, look, I'll look up all of them. They're all great. It's fascinating. <laughs> she does great interviews. I wish we could have gotten her, um, but she's probably busy and we didn't ask her, but <laughs> we are going to just promote her because we think she's fabulous. Yeah. But she mentioned how one of her concerns or one of the weird things in the interview she did do with Mike Cosper is he tried to ask her a very pointed question that he had an answer he wanted her to say, and she felt uncomfortable. Um, he actually mm. asked her, so do you think there can be a healthy way that complementarianism is done? Now, this wasn't put into the podcast, but it's an actual question that he asked her that made her really uncomfortable. And she said she wished it would have been put in the podcast because she said she laughed at his question. She laughed at it. And then she was like, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. But like, oh my God. yeah, it just shows this system of belief is deeply embedded in Mike Cosper. These systems and these structures that are harming people that need to be evaluated and examined critically, they are putting them aside. Uh, they, I mean, the most the potent interviews they did was, aside from Jessica Johnson, they did Kristen uh, Cobed dumez And they did a few ones with different people where it challenged it, but like they kept them very short. And instead, Christianity Today, Mike Cosper focused on men giving their fluffy opinions on things that sort of didn't delve deeply into the problems. They were mostly fanboying yeah. uh, about stuff. I mean, we didn't get into Joshua Harris and that whole episode, oh but God. we will do a we separate will. podcast yeah. interviewing someone discussing this because that yeah. episode was such a jump the shark episode. People were just enraged on how he used Joshua Harris. Yeah. And oh, you know, just to answer something early as we're closing off, you mentioned, mm -hmm. you know, reasons uh, for why this this he might have chosen to do this. And, you know, you're mentioning possible skeletons in his own closet. I could see this as a ton of projection. I think the assumption I'm under and I could also be wrong. We're both just speculating, you know, right. but I mean, for me, it looks like the evangelical movement is in trouble right now. Mm -hmm. um, one of the reasons we talk about evangelicalism is there's big shifts and shakeups, you know, the big, so, and I want to specifically deal with white evangelicalism because that's where me and you hail from. Yeah. And I want to specify that, but right. most white evangelicals over 80% voted for Trump time one and time two, even after all mm -hmm. the stuff that he did still voted for him a second time, maybe even showed more support second time around by a percentage point. Um, and that shook up evangelicalism and there's a shakeup going on. And these 
old guard people, um, whether it's, you know, Christianity Today, whether it's the Gospel Coalition, even Relevant Magazine, evangelical organizations are writing books on deconstruction. They're writing articles on deconstruction. They're talking about all the people running away from evangelicalism screaming, and they're trying to still make it sound like, you know, it's good to question all of this, but like, you don't need to leave it. And me and you have had our own journey out of this. And we see a lot of the danger. And there's a lot of stuff that you only get to see once you step out. Mm-hmm. And there's a truth yeah. behind that. When you're still in it, you, it's very hard to see certain things. It's like looking at something that's right in front of you. If you were staring mm-hmm. at a puzzle and it was like right in front of your face versus backing up, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you'd have a different picture of the whole thing. Yeah, it's and that old adage. Within. Yep, it's that old adage, missing the forest for the trees. You know? Yeah. So, so yes, and I, I the other thing too is that these these large evangelical organizations and their little think tanks, um, they're not talking to former evangelicals. They're not talking to any of us. You know, when when Marty Sampson announced that he was an atheist, Marty Sampson is a uh, a big name in in the Hillsong music empire. Um, when he announced that he was um, exiting evangelicalism, uh, when he announced that he was an atheist, what's what's the guy's name? John uh, John Crocker or John Cooker or whatever the John, whatever the John hell that Cooper, guy. John Cooper, the skelet guy. Oh, John yeah. Cooper, yeah, <laughs> the guy from Skillet. Um, <laughs> he he John wrote his Crocker. own like <laughs> I couldn't remember Betty his name. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote his own like long ass uh i mean i i say long ass you know he wrote a whole lot about nothing and i i responded to it and uh on on my own blog and, and decided to get to get to put my my uh my two cents in because look here's the thing you you like they love talking about us but they're not engaging us and i realize we're like way down a random rabbit trail but all that to say there are people who have been severely hurt by evangelicalism and not just in their actions, but as we unveil the core of what evangelicalism is, the doctrines that inform their actions, the beliefs that they hold to about people, we've found that they are at their core incredibly harmful. And that I think is where the inequality lies in this story. You know, one of the intros says it's a story about, and this is in this Christianity Today podcast about the rise and fall of Mars Hill, they say it's a story about power, fame, and spiritual trauma. So center the trauma victims, stop centering the abusers of this and acting like they're the insightful ones. And then they say problems faced across, and this is what you were just saying, problems faced across the spectrum of churches in America. They do acknowledge even on this podcast. So somebody they interview, I think it was a former writer for Christianity Today, maybe even the editor, they had a whole episode where, not the whole episode, but on part of the episode, they feature this guy and i wish i remembered which one it was which of these male white people it was but he he talks about how the scandals breaking out from inside evangelicalism big prominent names day after day like continuously you know that it wasn't some isolated thing it was such a common thing that it was so discouraging for him and overwhelming so they're, they're they come so close to touching on there's this bigger systematic issue going on but then they just skirt around it and they just avoid it. And they say things like, this is also the story about the mystery of God working in broken places. So they have their spin that you need to stay yeah. within this thing, that God is still doing a great thing, that this is, you know, whatever trauma you're seeing. Yes, it's trauma. It's a story yeah. about trauma, but it's also a story. I haven't heard them talking about how God is working in bro- Like, what are they talking <laughs> about? You know, that is one of the most crappy things you could say to an abuse victim. Somebody has gone through a rape or has gone through something vile and horrible. And for you to look at them and go, God is working in broken places. You're going to 
and I think maybe that goes with the Calvinism and the micromanaging sovereign God where you don't waste your suffering. And God was in control of that whole scenario that happened to you, which is terrifying if that's your view Mm -hmm. of God. But Mm -hmm. like, this is like not addressing the problem. This is really avoiding it. I feel like Christianity today is putting this on to protect themselves. I feel like there's a bleed out in evangelicalism. I feel like we're going to be discussing that. A lot of our podcasts are going to be dealing with what is going on, why Mm -hmm. people are leaving this. And for those who are not, we just want to say it, 25% of, of Americans are evangelical. Yeah, It's a quarter of the population. So you probably, if you're not, you might have a family member who is or a coworker or someone in your life mm. or the politics you're hearing about that get voted in are deeply embedded in this culture. Mm. So mm. learning about this is very important because it's going to f- affect how your laws are governed and how your representatives in Congress and in the Senate, the way that they think through things, it's sort of important to understand how these structures are set up and what ends up coming out of them. So that's why we want to address a lot of religious stuff because Mm -hmm. it's our background in evangelicalism and we're speaking from our personal experiences, the people we know and love. And when we listen to Christianity today, I think we were both initially like, oh, this is going to be interesting. And it's just disappointing. And then it became sort of obvious on why they had Mm -hmm. such a hard time getting straight into it because they're still trying to protect the overall system because they are a part of it. They believe the same things and they are part of protecting. And Christianity today, they tried to at some point say that they critiqued Mars Hill. But actually, if you go back into the archives, they did a lot of supporting and platforming and they didn't acknowledge their role in it. And here they are interrogating the whole situation, saying it's about examining the problem. So we felt like this was a good place to start off our podcast because Mm -hmm. we feel that these are widespread problems. Christianity Today acknowledges that, although they don't know how to look at it critically because they are inside that system. But as outsiders, we wanted to take a crack at it and sort of highlight what we saw some of the problematic nature of it for people who have been inside those systems who maybe want to take a look at it but feel confused, maybe even by that podcast and want to have an mm-hmm. outsider perspective. We we hope we shed some light. We hope we got into some stuff that you felt seen. Yeah. And uh, maybe some of the frustrations you might have had listening to that if you were somebody who did listen to that podcast. So many episodes of it. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we resonated with you a bit and shed some light for you. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We hope that this episode and all future episodes will be informative, enlightening, um, and will provide you a little bit of insight into uh, some of the the inequalities um, governing the systems that we live in and um, function in. You can find us online at fullmutuality.com. Also, look for Full Mutuality on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Twitter. Thanks again for listening and we will catch you in the next one. Bye.